Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 100. Didn't think we'd make it this far, but we have. Uh, my name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. When we started this podcast, what would you say the odds were that we got to 100? Like, mm, one in 100, maybe? Like, <laughs> I feel like the 0 to 10 episode range is where most podcasts die. Like, you usually don't make it to episode 10. And so... I guess once we got there, it was it's like life expectancy in the Middle Ages, you know? Like, most of the population dies as infants. Most podcasts die like that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a morbid analogy. So, <laughs> anyway, once we got out of there, that was uh, coming up on three years ago. Cause yeah. We, yeah, we started doing them every other week, and then we moved to weekly, and here we are. So, yeah, thank that... you, as always. Everyone yeah, who's I listened mean, to us. I can't believe know. we're still here. <laughs> yeah, it goes without saying, but we, we should actually just say it more. We're you know, we're very grateful to our listeners. Um mm-hmm. I, I think we kind of just started this as like, hey, this will be fun. Um and we didn't really expect to have, you know, listeners and uh we're not like the Joe Rogan podcast or anything, but you know, I it, it's it's been cool getting to know more people through this podcast and understand that, hey, like, you know, people sometimes like what we have to say. So that's that's really um, gratifying. On this 100th episode, we have decided to mail it in. This is going to be a clip show. <laughs> Remember the time when. And uh, yeah, there'll just be little excerpts of me not realizing my mic is off and my cat meowing. You know, it's just going to be a greatest hit sort of thing. Um, that's not actually true. We, we the, see, the thing is, for us, a clip show would actually be a lot more effort than a regular <laughs> show because we'd have to like search through everything and edit. It's <laughs> so we, hard. We basically don't do it all. No. Um, so this is actually just going to be a regular show, and we actually have some uh, Leafs news to talk about. Fulham, why don't you uh, hit us with that? Yeah, during this week, the Leafs announced that they have signed uh, defenseman Philip Kral and Christians Rubens to entry-level contracts. Uh, Kral was a fifth-round pick in 2018. He's a interesting defenseman. He's been playing in junior. He's done quite well there, but, you know, again, players tend to do well in junior as they become the oldest people in the league. Kral is 20 now. So he's looking to move to the AHL next year. And then we'll maybe get a better idea what we have with him. Uh, I'm deferring a little to Scott Wheeler, who wrote about him. He says when he moves his feet, he's excellent. He can move the puck. He does a good job getting the holes in the offensive zone as a shooter. And he has learned to defend the rush well, despite lacking the physical element. But he also says he's kind of hit and miss. And so... Certainly, I don't think anyone is getting crazily carried away with us signing this fifth-round pick, but it's interesting, and we'll see what he does at the pro level. The other name there, Christians Rubens, was actually signed to an AHL contract. He started in the ECHL with the Newfoundland... Newfoundland I can't pronounce the names of the provinces in our country. The Newfoundland Growlers. Uh, he started with them last year. He actually scored the first goal in the history of that franchise. It's pretty cool. He's a big defenseman, and it has been interesting seeing him do well at the ECHL, do well at the AHL this year as sort of a mid-level defenseman, and then sign a contract with the Leafs. That implies that maybe at some point they have a they think he has a shot at an NHL future. As far as next year goes, these are both going to be AHL defensemen, probably. It is kind of cool seeing the glimmers of that tri-level development thing that Cal Dubas has talked about. You know, he's talked about integrating the ECHL and having actually three different leagues. 
that work to build players up. So far, you know, it's very hard to go from the ECHL to the NHL. It just does not happen that often. But it is interesting seeing that pipeline built up. So that was sort of our uh, our Leafs news. Yeah, and also uh, the Martys also signed a couple guys beyond that. Um, defenseman Noel Hoffenmeyer and forward Jeremy McKenna to two-year AHL deals. These are both players from junior. I am not going to pretend to know anything about these guys at all. Um, again, referring to Scott Wheeler, who you know is more plugged in on this stuff than, than we are for sure. Uh, he said he's going to be quite positive on this. He said they're two of the best players in junior hockey. Um, they're on the older side for junior hockey, which, you know, as you mentioned, Fulman is kind of what you expect, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think these are, you know, anything to really get too excited about, but it, it's it's cool, right? It's like, okay, cool. We're, you know, we're trying to continue to restock the pipeline and, you know, you, you, you make a lot of bets, essentially. Um, these are AHL contracts, worth noting. They don't take up mm-hmm. NHL SPC space. So here, I'm not sure if there's any constraint besides roster spots at lower levels and actual cash. Yeah, there's pretty much none. You can do whatever you want. You can send them to the ECHL without an issue. Uh, A lot of these guys probably will be playing for the Newfoundland Growlers. And so, yeah, it's the kind of move that you kind of expect the, the team to make, and that's totally fine. Every now and then, one of them will turn into something... A little more. Like Rubens, just by moving from an AHL deal to an NHL contract, he's already taken a rare step. And you shouldn't expect it in most of these cases. But yeah, it's cool. You know, the Leafs are still doing work with, I guess, video scouting and whatnot at this point. Going off the notes they already had, since you can't do a lot of scouting right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, with giving contracts to, like, drafted players, ELCs and whatnot, it's, it's just kind of another... Like conditional on them getting that, the probability of them getting to the NHL is just a little bit higher. Because, like, you filter out all the no-hopers, in theory, when, when you mm-hmm. just don't give them ELCs, right? Like the Nicholas Matinins of the world. Yeah, it, you know, it's not um, uncommon for, you know, maybe half the players you draft just not to get entry-level contracts um, from you or from anyone else. Right now, 2018 it has been a pretty decently strong draft year. In the early going, uh, it had Rasmus Sandin, uh, Sean Dursey, who was traded but has an ELC with Los Angeles, uh, Semyon Duargachinsev, uh, Mac Hall- Hollowell, and now we have uh, Philip Kral. I also think Pontus Holmberg, who was another pick in that draft, he would have an ELC, but it's such a crazy system with, uh, with different contract rights that if you're drafted out of junior your deadline to be signed was coming up as of June 1st of this year. If you were drafted out of the SHL in Sweden, like Holmberg was, you have until 2022. If you were drafted out of the Russian leagues, you have until you're 27, which is forever in the future for Semyon Kizimov, now that the Leafs are probably going to sign him. So, yeah, it again, this is probably just a, a tip of the hat to Kyle Dubas drafting, which looks quite good in the early going both in terms of strength at the top and depth throughout. Again, wouldn't get carried away with the hopes for any of these, but it's encouraging just watching these little moves happen. And every now and then, one of these comes together and you think, oh, that was really good. Like I'm thinking Pierre Engvall, when he was sort of a a maybe to get an entry-level contract. At one point, and he kind of surged late, he got the, the deal, and now he's an NHLer. 
So you never know when you might hear these names crop up again. Yep. All right, so I think that's basically all the news. Um, we're going to do something, I guess, a little bit fun, a little bit different this time. Uh, we're going to focus, I guess, our last two podcasts were about the rest of the league and uh, not really the Leafs. Uh, this is going to be, I guess, kind of similar. But we're going to be talking about the best U21 players in the NHL mm-hmm. and making uh, the definitive ranking. And if we, you know, have a player that you like lower than you expect, that's because we specifically hate you and or him. <laughs> and you should feel bad about ever liking that player. No, I mean, so we're talking, we're going to be talking about players. None of them are on the Leafs. Um, the Leafs don't have a top 10 under 21 player. Rasmus mm-hmm. Sandin maybe would be first if we were being truly honest, but we have to let other teams have a bit of hope. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there, so there's no Leafs on this list. So we're talking about players who we're inherently going to be less familiar with. I think we both watch a decent amount of NHL hockey. We both follow the league pretty closely. Um, but, you know, for a guy like, you know, Miro Heiskanen, I don't watch that many Stars games. I've probably seen Miro Heiskanen, you know, in the NHL less than 10 times in my life. Yeah, I, I watch less than that even. Like, I do see occasional other games. I follow most of the league by reading about it, believe it or not. Like, I read other people who write smart things that I kind of try and do my research that way. For this podcast, however, I did some actual YouTube diving. I did some looking at the tape. I'm using my eye test, and we're like, hey, Fulaman, didn't you say several episodes back that your eye test is kind of garbage? Yes, but we're powering ahead anyway. So, if we're wrong about any of these things, we apologize, but we're going to bring such powers as we have to looking at these players who maybe we don't see as much, who maybe you don't see as much if you're not directly following one of them, and just getting a feel for why they're good, what what's kind of going on with them and why they're going to terrify the league including the leaves probably for the next few years so this is the the up and comers uh i believe our cutoff was you had to be 21 or younger as of april 1st of this year yes so i think the oldest player who was like reasonably in contention it was patrick line mm-hmm. yeah so shall we uh, yeah, let's let's get started. So we're going to start from the top and work our way down. Um, we kind of just made a communal list. We originally were going to do our own lists, um, but then we realized, you know, very on brand with this podcast, they wouldn't really disagree that much. And then it would just be confusing going back and forth between two lists that were like 85% similar. So we, <laughs> yeah. we just agreed to, to go to um, uh, one list. By the way, Patrick Laine would will turn 22 on mm. April 19th. So he, he's made this list by about three weeks. Um. So we'll, we'll start from the top. Uh, as I said, I, I have them in, in tiers. So my first tier, or our first tier, is two players. The first, I think, will surprise no one. I think he'll be kind of the unanimous pick, um, is Elias Pedersen. Mm-hmm. And the second is Andrei Sveshnikov. Um, I have them in the same tier. I could, I, I think we both kind of discussed this, where we could potentially put Pedersen in his own tier. Yes, I think Pedersen uh, was the the pick that had warranted the least thinking. He was the obvious number one. He's a franchise center, period, and he's in the conversation with names like Austin Matthews and Jack Eichel. I wouldn't have him ahead of either of those guys yet, but he's in that conversation. I think it's close. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's not an implausible case, and you, like you don't have to be a Vancouver homer to say I think Pedersen 
is as good as those guys. I don't agree with it, but I also don't think it's batshit crazy. He's a complete offensive threat. He looks like Gumby, but somehow that like weird sort of rubbery frame that he has where he has no actual weight on it, he uses it really effectively to put huge power into his shot. Like, he has an absolute bomb. He's a great playmaker. He's extremely mobile. His, like, I worry that I'm going to overuse the phrase high IQ, and I know that some scouts hate that because it can mean a lot of things and it can be a bit vague. He just makes really great passes from everything that I've seen. He has that kind of A++ ability to find targets all over the ice. And so the result is that he can do pretty much anything on the offensive end. He's not like an elite, elite defensive player, but his numbers defensively are actually pretty respectable. And he seems like one of those guys who just plays most of the time at the other end of the ice. And that's one way to play defense is just avoid having to. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he, he's. It is wor- go ahead. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> well, I, I just would note, um, his current coach Travis Green in Vancouver has very aggressively avoided using him on defensive zone faceoffs, especially this year. That's not a huge deal. We don't generally get that carried away with zone starts at this point in time, but he has very offensive usage, so that probably helps a bit. But you might as well give him offensive usage because he's really, really good. You know, let him yeah. capitalize on that opportunity. It's like similar to what the Sedins did, uh, had, right? Where, you mm-hmm. know, they were, I guess, sheltered in terms of always having offensive zone usage uh, time. But they also just, like, absolutely obliterated that. And, you know, when you look at Pedersen's um, play driving numbers, whether it's by isolated threat or by um, RAPM, he looks like a very very good play driver like a borderline elite play driver and to add to that you mentioned his shot the combination of elite play driving and elite shot that's about as good as you could possibly do from an offensive player mm-hmm. right um he also draws a crap ton of penalties yeah and, and i mean as well he should given that he's really hard to stop you know i can't say enough about what a great a genuinely great player uh Pedersen is Pedersen is the kind of guy that validates a tank you know, and if you've been really bad and struggling for an extended period, but you come out of it with Elias Pettersson, you are on the road back to success if you make the right choices. And the Canucks have pieces to surround him with, as we've talked about before, uh, one of which will actually also show up later on, hint, hint. So, yeah, I can't say enough. There's one other thing that I wanted to point out, just because this was kind of nuts. Back... Uh, leading into the 2017 draft, someone did a fan post on our site, and it was a user called formerly known as Prince, and he had yeah I assume it wasn't actually Prince, although you know we can't say for sure. Didn't but wasn't Prince uh, <laughs> dead at that point? Yeah, but you know maybe he just wanted to get the par- paparazzi off his back so that's he could true. make hockey fan posts. Yeah, you know that's what I would do. <laughs> Purple rain. Anyway, the uh. The title of this post was The Myth of the Two-Horse Race, and Elias Pettersson. And he argued that, you know, everyone was talking about Nolan Patrick versus Nico Hischier as the one-two in some order. And he said, The more I look at their production at various levels compared to history, the more I think Patterson should be the first overall pick. 
And at the time, everyone was like, oh, well, that's, that's interesting. I'm sure he's pretty good and all that. But if you do that draft again, and no disrespect to either Nolan Patrick, who has struggled with injuries, or Nico Heischer, who is quite good in his own right, Pedersen goes first overall, I think, no question. And this was at a time where that wasn't really being said. So uh, that user has not recently come back to this site. But it's one of the most, like, clairvoyant predictions I've ever seen made in hockey. And uh, he should do a victory lap wherever he is. I hope uh, he's enjoying himself because Pedersen has really delivered in every respect. Yeah, he, he's just a really, really, really good player. Um, wonderfully complete offensive player as well, right? There, there really mm-hmm. aren't many holes in his game offensively. And one thing I like about him is that he can play many, many, ha- or he can wear many hats on a line, right? Like he could be the sniper on on that line if you want, if you need him to be. If you have, if you're playing with pass first players, he he will naturally like morph into that role. Mm-hmm. Um, playing him with Brock Besser, not that you know Pedersen doesn't shoot a lot and score a lot, but like he can also just be a perfect um, playmaker as well, right? And mm-hmm. you know you, you don't have to worry about not getting the most out of your your sniping winger by playing him with Pedersen. Like, Pedersen's going to find him. So it's just, I, I love, you know, complete players like that who can do everything, who can be very versatile. So, yeah, Pedersen was, as we said, the obvious number one. Yeah, and uh, credit to him. Second place is interesting, is Andrei Shvechnikov. We've talked about him. He's just turned 20. He's a winger for the Carolina Hurricanes. Obviously, you all know him for the, the lacrosse goal which he's successfully deployed in the NHL a couple times. He's really, really good. He's maybe better than might immediately occur to you if, like me, you know, you don't follow him that closely. You just know that he's skilled. He's one of those guys who, the deeper you look into his stat profile and stuff like that, the better he looks. And the eye test likes him too. I think, you know, people view him as kind of like a skilled player. You mentioned, you know, he got absolutely leveled by Ovechkin a while back, and so maybe people don't think that he's as much of a power forward as he is. Sveshnikov goes to the dirty areas. Like, he will bowl his way through. And in addition to being a really, really good sniper with great skills at finishing, he also is able to stand his ground under a lot of physical pressure. You know, he can score goals pretty much any way you want, from distance, from close, with kind of trick shots, with just great shooting. And with deflections in front of the net. So, as a goal scorer, he's very, very high tier. You know, I I think as Leafs fans, we get a little bit spoiled because we have Matthews, and Matthews is kind of the mountain as far as that goes. But Svechnikov is very, very good. Yeah, he was on pace for around 30 goals this season if if it was a full NHL season. Um, The interesting thing about Svechnikov, so he came into the like, when he was drafted, a huge part of his package was like oh this guy you know sick shot and Mm -hmm. he does superficially have a have a nice shot but thus far in the nhl he hasn't been an elite shooter he's been a basically average shooter right um and i think if your prior on his draft kind of profile is is strong i think this is a real sign of optimism because he's you know close not not far away from a point per game at 19 years old Right, or he's now 20, I believe, but he just turned 20. 
Mm-hmm. So he was 19 for most of this year. Um, but without being an elite shooter, he's already a pretty high-end offensive player. If he taps into that shooting, he can you know be one of the best offensive players in the world, right? Um, so it, it's... I, I think that's a, a potential area for growth for him. What I think... There's a couple things that I think are impressive for him. Um, like Austin Matthews when he was young, he is a bit of a shot and expected goal monster. Now, he, not to the same degree that Matthews was. I, I wrote about this, I think, in Matthews' second year, when he would have been 20, slightly older than Sveshnikov is now. And I said that Matthews was essentially the only player who combined elite shot volume, elite shot locations, and an elite shot. And that made him the best goal scorer in the world. Um, Matthews, interestingly, has changed a little bit since then. Under Keefe, mm-hmm. his shot locations have gotten worse. He's still taking a lot of shots, but they're not great locations. He's still scoring a lot. Obviously, he was in the, 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 the running for the Rocket Richard. But on a per-minute basis, his scoring has gone down. Now, you could say that's partially just because you know he's playing more minutes and you, you can't go as all out for that. But Matthews' statistical profile has changed. Uh, with Svechnikov... Uh, he he's just a very very good shot producer, and if he can add any sort of like kind of shooting lift on top of that, like people expected he would, he's going to vault up even further. Part of what I think the reason we have him so high on the list is he is you know basically he just turned twenty, so he's another full year of growth upcoming. And the thing that makes him perhaps most uh, appealing we haven't even talked about yet, and that's his play driving. Mm-hmm. So this is a bit hard to judge at times because, you know, we're not perfect at isolating play driving from one player to another. And Sveshnikov is in that supercharged Carolina thing where everyone seems to have like a 75% Corsi somehow. Mm -hmm. Right. But every metric we have that attempts to separate out, you know, um, responsibility for who is driving play suggests that Andrei Sveshnikov is one of the best play drivers in the league. Yeah, and even in thinking that that's a little overrated, which I do, for the reason we just discussed, like I think it's a very high tide carrying some boats, the fact that that's showing that well at his age is pretty remarkable, especially for a goal-scoring winger. Now, even if it's just some of the play driving is him being carried by an excellent play driving team, I don't see how you can be anything but kind of impressed with the overall results that he's getting, because they're so good, and they're combined with such high danger scoring. Mm-hmm. And his line mates are are good, right? He spent a lot of time this year with Jordan Stahl, with Sebastian Ajo, although not at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, Warren Fogo, Thibaut Teravainen. But, you know, his numbers are consistently good no matter who he plays with. Right. Right? Um, and part of that is, I think, you know, you mentioned this before, his, his willingness to go to the dirty areas. He... When he's on the ice, Carolina gets a ton of shots, you know, just from the goal mouth. And I think he creates a lot of those shots with his ability to, you know, absorb defenders' attention there, get shots away himself, and also create space for others, right? Um, Yeah. He's a complete player. I think that was one of the things in the draft where people talked about him, where it's like, you know, you can rely on him away from the puck, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, a bit rare for, you know, a 17-year-old goal-scoring phenom. But, yeah, like, Svechnikov is... um, a very, very complete player, and he's playing like a top-line forward um, right now in terms of his usage. He's playing, you know, with very good teammates, but he's also playing elite competition. Yeah, and you really have to be kind of impressed by that. Like, I think 
you know, to give it a bit of a Leafs context, if you're comparing him to how the big three on the Leafs did at the same age, you have a pretty plausible argument that Svechnikov is better than Mitch Marner was. He's better than Nylander was at that age. That's pretty crazy. I mean, you, you have an argument that he's better than, than Matthews was at that age, right? So if we're talking 19 going on 20, I, it's a bit imperfect because it's kind of like in between the age of Matthews' first year and Matthews' second year, mm-hmm. right? Um, but at that point, like, Matthews' play driving wasn't all the way there yet, right? He was It, it was a lot of shooting talent. No, that's true. He was he was good, or good enough. He, he was that, a good play yeah. driver who, like, you know, <laughs> when you're shooting, you know, ten percent better than your opponent, you're gonna just drive goals as well. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, yeah. Th- th- I mean, I think that's arguable. And the truth is, the play driving didn't really take a huge step for Matthews until this year. Uh, although, I mean, he's been part of good lines with Nylander and Hyman. Yeah. And that's been true in the past. Yeah, so. I, I mean, I, so if you look at Hockey Viz, they've always had Matthews as a good play driver. Like, rookie year, good. Sophomore year, very good. And third year, very good. This year, even better. Right? Mm-hmm. So we're probably underrating Matthews a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not necessarily to the same degree as what they're pointing at out for Svechnikov right now. Right? And worth noting, like, we don't want to overstate differences between these players when it comes to these play driving metrics because there are error bars around them. They're estimates, mm-hmm. right? You got to be confident of them. And, and it, there's also just general model error that arises with these. But um, Svechnikov and Pedersen are the two players who I think you can make, more so with Pedersen than with Svechnikov, like they're the two players that if Matthews was aged onto this list, I would actually have a bit of you know, pause. Like, okay, am I 100% sure that Matthews is better than them? Right? I'd probably put a 21-year-old Matthews first or second on this list. Um, Certainly above Sveshnikov and then neck and neck with Pedersen. Yeah, I I would have Matthews first, but it's quite close. And again, it's not crazy to think that just based on how young Sveshnikov is and how good he is, that there might be another level there. Like, we just saw Matthews take what appears to be a big step this year in terms of his ability to control play, even though there was a bit of a decline in terms of the dangerousness of his chances at the offensive end. He's still delivering on the goals front. So, yeah, there's potentially still considerable growth ahead of all of those the guys on this list, and especially Svechnikov. He really is very impressive the more you look at him. Can I just note one little thing? Mm-hmm. So I looked at a lot of hockey highlight videos for this, and I would like to submit that people don't know how to soundtrack those anymore. You know, I feel like Led Zeppelin and like the classic rock bands that just try to imitate Led Zeppelin, they kind of went out, and then you get these weird ones where it's like like a second-tier weekend imitator, where it's like a trap beat, and they're singing about like, the song is actually about, like, I waited so long to find you in the club and stuff like this. But then it's about Andre Svechnikov just scoring lacrosse goals and shit. And it's really weird. And I don't know that it really works in that context. Just because it's sort of like, 
like, you know, crying in the club right now kind of music. And then it's just watching Svechnikov, like, snipe on some fools. We gotta find something something better. Where do you stand on just, like, music over highlight videos or just commentary? As a rule, I'm like, just give me the crowd noise, you know? Or just give me the, the, the commentary such as it is. It's fine. I'll feel like I'm there. I don't need, like, the narrative arc that comes through, like... You know, oh, I'm hearing a Drake B-side and stuff like this. You know, I, I don't think that's necessary. Also, as bad as this Svechnikov video's soundtrack was, there's a worse one that's coming down the list, and I'm going to complain about that one, too. But for the sake of narrative arc in this podcast, I'm going to leave that as a mystery. I don't think you need to put songs on highlight videos. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> All right, so our next grouping was a grouping of four players. And I think this might be notable for who it's missing as a, in addition to who it's there. So one thing I'll say is within tiers, I'm comfortable like moving players around. So if, if you disagree with you know, um, the ordering within a tier, I'm not going to fight you on that. And actually for that reason, I'll probably retroactively, we should say that Pedersen's in his own tier, Svechnikov is in his own tier. Mm-hmm. I think they're the clear one-twos. Yeah. Like I wouldn't agree with anyone at, else at number one. I probably wouldn't agree with anyone else at number two. So three to six, so that's four players, I have, or we have, uh, I'm just looking at the, the spreadsheet, which is why I keep saying I, I'm sorry. Um, so good. Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, Brady Kachuk, and Miro Heiskanen. Yeah. And it's just a question of how you order those. And I think, yeah, as you said, you could plausibly put them in any order three to six. Um... They're all very impressive players, uh, three very enviable defensemen. So this may be a bit of a melancholy section for the Leafs fans because there are several players that we would love to have uh, caliber of defensemen that we simply do not seem to draft very often. Yes. Um, actually, another thing that can kind of be pointed out from this, uh, I'm just going off the top of my head here, but just looking at the players we've named so far, which is the first six, this is where they mm-hmm. were drafted. Number five. Number two, number seven, number four, number four, also number four. I think Heiskanen was also number four. But yeah. basically all top ten. The only one actually, almost all top five, the only one not is Quinn Hughes, who's picked seven and was like kind of like, oh, wow, I can't believe he fell that far. Yeah, like this is, and this is true because, you know, we're looking at 21 and under. We haven't had a lot of time for like the miracle draft hits to kind of come into their own and walk in and dominate the league. Right, but, like Braden Point hasn't shown up yet of of one of the of the 2018 or 2019 draft. Yeah, exactly. But that said, you know, these are all high picks and to some extent that's where you get your talent. And the Leafs can't really complain about that because again, that is how we came by Matthews, Marner, Nylander. But now that we don't have that, it's going to be harder to find guys who are in this tier. It's hard enough as it is because you're not guaranteed to get the caliber of player commensurate with the draft slot, as we'll kind of see going through here. But these players are delivering, it looks like. Yes, and I guess one more thing to back out before we actually talk about these players in, in depth. Um, the player who's probably missing for, for most people here is where's Rasmus Dahlin? Uh, he does show up later in the list. I, I want to point out, so yesterday I, I made a Twitter poll where I said, if you're the first pick in the 2018 NHL entry draft with the benefit of the last, you know, 1.75 seasons of hindsight, who do you take number one? So that's the draft where Darlene went number one, Svechnikov went number two, um, and what was it, Kotkaniemi was three? 
Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So the choices that I gave were Dalin, Sveshnikov, Quinn Hughes, and Brady Kachuk. Um, and I said, who, yeah, who would you take? Hughes came in first. He got 35% of the vote. Dalin got 30% of the vote. Svechnikov got 27%. And Kachuk got the remaining 8%. So Kachuk was pretty far behind. But the top three were, were pretty close. Mm-hmm. So people tend to think of Dalin as still very, very good. And we'll talk more about him later. But Hughes did win that. So let's, let's actually talk about Quinn Hughes because we have him at fourth right now. A uh, third, isn't it? Third, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so Quinn Hughes is a left defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks. He is kind of the epitome of the stereotypical modern defenseman because he's not big. But he's a terrific four-way skater. There's actually a little thing, and I'm going to import a video game concept here, so pardon how dirty this podcast will get even compared to usual. But if you've played sort of semi-action games, there's something called kiting, like flying a kite where it's like you get an, an enemy to lock onto you and chase you, and you kind of lead them away from where they're supposed to be. What Quinn Hughes is able to do, and this is also true of a couple other names, and it reminds me a bit of Marner sometimes, because he's such an agile skater in every direction, he's able to lead defending players away from where they would like to go positionally because they're trying to cover him man to man. And as he draws them away, he opens up seams in the defense. And he's both agile enough to do that and then aware enough to pass the puck through that hole that he just opened up. It's really fascinating to watch because it requires both that mobility and that vision to know when's the right time to pass back out of the situation he's in to hit the man that he's basically freed up. It's really impressive. And it starts a lot of high-danger offensive possessions. I just think of him as flying a kite, you know, just leading him away. And it really does start to look like he has total control of the situation. And it's more impressive uh, the longer you observe it. So that's just something that stood out to my eye test. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think for for most people, when they watch Hughes, and actually, you know, to a similar extent with Makar, you remarked on something. We'll talk about him shortly. But it's just, he's a absurd skater and I remember the first time I watched him it was at the World Juniors and he was not really getting off the bench for the USA um, because of the defensive flaws he has perceived or actual and I remember at one point they were behind I think in an elimination game and the coach just decided basically to play Makar as a fo- or sorry not Makar play Hughes as a forward mm-hmm. and I was just watching him like why were they not playing this guy earlier and I'm not saying that they should have because I'm not an expert on this he might, that might have been you know the right choice but he was just it looked like he was playing a different game than everyone else like he, he it looked like everyone else was skating in mud he's absurd it, it, it's just so smooth it's so smooth and I, I remember you know when, when I watched a young Jake Gardner come up that was something that you know occurred to me as well his skating is so smooth and so clean he was is a much you know better prospect than Gardner ever was uh and mm-hmm. will probably be a much better player than Gardner was which is not a slight on Gardner who is an excellent player as everyone here knows but yeah, Hughes just, you, you watch him skate and it's beautiful. It's art. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. The, the only knock on him again is size for a defenseman. And people care a lot less about that nowadays. Like any guy with his abilities who was like 6'1", 6'2", would not have fallen to 7th. Like I'll guarantee you that right away. And it already looks kind of absurd that he did. 
uh, he's a he's a really terrific player. He's going to win a Norris Trophy one day, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I I'm predicting that with a decent level of confidence. Um, he's on a Vancouver power play that seems to outperform its metrics. They don't look terrific by the chances they generate, but they outshoot them. Uh, Hughes certainly looks like he is contributing to that. As if that's sustained, you know, it's always hard to tell how far you can go with shooting talent, but the Canucks have shooters and Hughes can certainly feed them. I I really can't say enough about what an incredibly cool player Quinn Hughes is. This is going to be the podcast where we say the most positive about the Vancouver Canucks that we've ever done. But genuinely in terms of having Pedersen and Hughes, that's incredible to be able to build around those two players at 21 and 20. And it justifies, like they made a lot of bad moves. We covered this in the last pod um, where we talked about them. Where, yeah, they've made, they've made some bad moves, but they've nailed three to four huge ones, right? Where they got elite talent. Yeah. And that's this... like, yeah, the Roussel contract and the Beagle contract aren't great, but you take the choice between signing good mid-level for aging contracts and signing and drafting stars versus, you know, drafting okay players and signing great um mid-level free agent contracts then yeah you, you take the stars stars are what wins you games and they, that's what puts you in contention yeah and it's worth noting that these picks you know Pedersen fifth and uh Hughes seventh in different years they're in the range where you expect to get a very good player but you're not guaranteed to as the Canucks could tell us because only you Levy has underperformed his draft slot but it was in that range where you have a shot at really good talent, but it's not a given. And there are guys ahead of each of those those players who have disappointed. Uh, Hughes has not. And so, as much as I think the Canucks as a whole are kind of iffy in terms of like their overall build, like there are a lot of holes after these guys and some good players. I'm not saying it's, it's totally barren, but there's a lot of work that has to be done. But if you had to pick a team with a forward and a defenseman to build around, you would be hard-pressed to do better than the combination of these two guys at this age. Yep. Uh, and, I mean, a lot of the same things can be said about Kale McCarr, who we have right behind him. And, you know, I I have a hard time picking between these two. What stands out to me with Kale McCarr is straight-ahead speed is dumb. You've... You know, you've probably seen this with Kasperi Kapanen. You've seen it with Connor McDavid. The ability to just burn guys where you're too fast for them to control their gaps, for them to turn around when you're zooming by them and they start thinking, oh shit, this guy is way quicker than I am. You don't see that from rushing defensemen that often in the modern NHL. Kale McCarr is blazing that I saw. And, you know, it can be tough to gauge speed situationally. He's also, I'm sure, quite good at picking his spots. And Hughes can do some of this too. But the frequency with which I saw Makar just absolutely burn guys on straight-ahead rushes was like Bobby Orr-esque. It was just wild watching him pretty much just charge at guys and then pass them and then go in for a partial break uh, from a defenseman again. You know, he's, he's, again, he's not huge. Um, and his defense is not considered to be fully developed yet from everything that I've seen. But his ability to just rush the puck is enough to almost bring back puck rushing as a concept. <laughs> he's so good 
that, you know, I think we've moved more and more towards being, make that first pass and being less of a defense rushing league, at least that I've seen. Uh, Kale McCarr is kind of an exception to that trend, even though he can also make good passes. He really stands out to me for that. Yeah. He's, again, very, very, very fun player to watch. His, um, he, he's been the beneficiary of, I guess you can call it variance or puck luck. Basically, his goal score percentage this year is much higher than his expected goal score percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that might be, you know, if Makar is one of those rare defensemen who lifts team shooting percentage, then, you know, it's game over. Like, that's, that's one of the most unique <laughs> players we've ever seen then. Um, but he himself has also, you know, shot quite well. Actually, Hughes has as well. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward to that because their offensive numbers are, are stunning right now. They're good play drivers by the metrics we have. Um, they're not elite play drivers in the way of the top two forwards we mentioned by those metrics, mm-hmm. right? And typically forwards have a better opportunity to lift shooting percentage than defensemen. So I think that's the main reason we have them behind Svechnikov. Yeah. And I could certainly be persuaded that, you know, if you're a big eye test person or, you know, frankly, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're daydreaming about which player would help you, you could certainly talk me into Quinn Hughes <laughs> really quick or, you know, Cal McCarr shoots right. So, yeah, I-, I can certainly see the appeal there. I, you know, I keep thinking it's one or the other because it looks like the two of them are going to be toe-to-toe for the Calder this year. Mm-hmm. I would narrowly give it to Hughes from what I've seen. You could talk me into it with Makar with very little difficulty, and I would go back and forth. I like what Hughes brings in terms of an all-around kind of sophisticated game. They're both phenomenal defensemen. They're both players who look like number one defensemen of the future and arguably number one defensemen of the right now. Yeah. that's On this list... So not talking about the Calder, but on this list, I, I go Hughes just because he's about a year younger. Yeah, which is, is totally fair. And so, yeah, just very impressive young players. I think, you know, the custom is, is to think that defensemen mature later. That's kind of in the stereotypical belief, and they do seem to break in a little later. I've heard some people argue that they don't actually mature later. They just get a chance later on. Hard to judge. And these are still primarily offense-tilted defensemen in the cases of these two guys. But they're both quite effective and, and very impressive. And just the caliber of skating is off the charts in both cases. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we should talk about Miro Heiskanen now as well, who has been a bit of a forgotten man um, in all this. Yeah, he, There was a lot of hype around Heiskanen, and justifiably so. He, he's probably the best of these players defensively. Yeah. So far as we can tell, it's worth noting uh, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, if, if you care about this sort of thing. I don't want to get carried away with quality of competition, which I know is something that I'm tempted to do. You know, are you a hard minutes defenseman, that sort of thing. But Hughes and McCarr play seemingly average forward competition. Heiskanen plays somewhat above average forward competition. He's actually trusted to play difficult minutes. And they, they usually split him. Uh, onto the the second pairing in Dallas, it would appear. But he's actually quite good defensively. As a result, unfortunately, he had the most boring highlight video of any of these people. 
And as perhaps a related consequence, whoever did the one I best remember looking at found what sounded like an Evanescence cover band. Um, it was just terrible. Actually, like all I'm thinking about with Mira Heiskanen now was just this, this gruesome kind of like new rock operatic vocals thing going on. It was just atrocious. Anyway, but Heiskanen's a great defensive player. There are a couple of plays in the aforementioned Evanescency video where he actually gets back and breaks up a play and then turns it back the other direction. And they're the kind of highlights where you would just love as a coach or as a color commentator to point and say, this is where you see the fruits of defensive work because it's not always easy to credit. You know, those are the rare cases where a good defensive play does lead to a goal down the other end in a quick cause and effect fashion. He's not like a huge power play guy. Yeah. The stars don't need him to be because they have Klingberg. Yeah. can do that just fine. But I, th so. I think that's where he does lose a bit of value relative to, to McCarr and Hughes. Mm-hmm. Because both of those guys should be number one power play guys for like the next 10 years. Whereas Heiskanen doesn't need to be. And maybe won't be. He's not, you know, awful at this sort of thing, but he's going to jump off the page less. And I also think, let's be honest, Dallas doesn't get, in my opinion, the same press that the Canucks or the Avalanche do. You know, mm -hmm. just being more traditional hockey markets and one of them is in Canada. But I, I think Heiskanen, he might almost mature into one of those guys who's like a popular underrated pick. You know, every year for the Norris where people are like, you know, if, if this guy played elsewhere, he would be a star. He's a better defensive player. He should really get more credit and that sort of thing. And they'll have a point. You know, some of that will be true. He really does look like a great, reliable defensive player. Yeah, and it's worth noting that, you know, their, their play-driving impacts per RAPM for Hughes, Makar, and Heiskanen, they're all within a rounding error of one another. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, they do it very different ways, but they've all been, according to RAPM, similarly effective this year um funnily at least by xg um funnily enough by Corsi, hughes kind of leaps out and then mccarr and heiskanen looked like average uh defensemen in that respect although their goal impacts are much better obviously we don't want to read too heavily into those especially for a single partial season but they all do seem like really excellent players um another thing that kind of goes along with heiskanen being such a strong um, defensive player. He doesn't really take penalties, which is very impressive when you consider his who he goes up against. Yeah, that's a valuable thing. If you can sustain it and effectively defend other players without losing body position all the time and having to take obstruction penalties, because, as we know, sometimes when you're defending really, really good players, you have to risk a penalty to kind of contain them. You know, as crazy as that sounds, there's a certain amount of I'm going to take my chances tying this guy up a little, holding a little bit longer, trusting that because I'm close to the net, somehow interference is, you know, vitiated. All that sort of stuff. But it does have a price. Over time, you rack up those penalty minutes, and sometimes that's pucks in your own net. And so Heiskanen's ability to do that, to contain opposing good forwards, and not to wind up wildly underwater in penalty differential, that is impressive. So, 
yeah, just a, a little note. I, I really feel like Heiskanen is the hipster pick on this list, mm. even though he was drafted so high, so it's not like he's an unknown by any means. Right, he, he, he was... he's just... Yeah, and he's younger than, than Makar. I think people don't realize that. Yeah, because it's just because he... A lot of this stuff is, when did you break into the league? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he broke in earlier. And so you become a little bit of yesterday's news, almost, especially, again, if you play in a smaller market. But he's a terrific player. Really good defensive player. Like, if if he shot right, he would almost be kind of the dream pick to fill the hole in the leaves. But, alas, it's not to be. D- Dallas will be happy to have him for a long time, I think. Yes. So the last person in this tier is uh, Brady Kachuk. And, Fuck that guy. Oh, I hate him. And, and, I mean, he's probably <laughs> the player we've seen the most of anyone yeah. on this list. Because he's played oh. in Ottawa. Uh, and we pay attention to Ottawa, and we, we face Ottawa a lot. Yeah. He's... And you know what? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I hate this guy. <laughs> he's so good, too. Yeah, I know. He's I amazing. I fucking hate it. Uh, you know what? It has to be said. When the Ottawa Senators had a choice of whether or not to roll over their first-round pick, you know, they, they had to cede one of them to the Colorado Avalanche, and they had the choice to either keep it, for the year they drafted Kachuk, or to keep the next year's. One, we said maybe they ought to give up the fourth overall pick because they're going to be bad again. And two, we said, oh, really, Kachuk over Zadina, that's interesting. Well, it has to be said that Pierre Dorian looks to have made the right call in both respects. Kachuk looks like a better-than-average fourth overall pick. He's outperformed Philip Zadina, that's for sure. And... He's very, very good in so many ways that it's very frustrating. The knock on him was speed, was like high-end skill and speed. All of those quantities that, qualities that are in quantities for the other players on this list, like that are kind of famously great skaters and high-skill guys. Kachuk is just a shit weasel, to use Zelda's expression. He goes to the dirtiest area of the ice, he plays extremely dirty, he shoves people around. He's not easily intimidated. He gets his stick on pucks at very close range. His expected goals are ridiculous. He's not being carried by his line mates, I'm pretty sure. His center most common this year was John gabriel Pajot, who was a nice guy and who was having a career year, but he's not a first-line center on any real team. You know, Kachuk is just... One of the most impressive players of his type that I've ever seen. He's huge. He's hard to back off. He's just genuinely both intimidating and effective. He's the he's the example of a power forward who gets scouts like all excited and like jizzing about size and toughness and all that, who backs it up. Yeah, like, like he really is that. He's good. the case study could, for why those yeah. traits are valuable. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? If you could just airdrop him onto the Leafs and put him as the left wing with Matthews Marner or Tavares Nylander or something, he would make hay. He would absolutely gut opposition because he would be a perfect fit in so many respects. Just, you know, I, I'm, I'm mooning over him a little bit, but I have to say it's genuinely incredible how good he is. He's like basically brendan gallagher but big you know yep and he's he's second in the league in expected goal rate this year behind only brendan gallagher 
They're both quite a bit ahead of mm. anyone behind them. Uh, absolute yeah. shot monster. He, he's an, honestly not that far away from Svechnikov. I think the yeah, in in like that respect. Yeah, what all like the only issue with him is him, him under shooting, right? Yes, that that's that's the real I guess not issue, but like his expected goal rate is amazing. His actual goal rate is very good, but his shooting he, he's a bit of hymenitis right now and you know, he's a he's a skilled player, so you don't expect that to continue and in his rookie year he was um in his rookie year he was a, a solid shooter. Uh it was about average. Mm-hmm. This year he's been notably worse. Um but if he shot at his expected goal rates then yeah he, he makes even a stronger case to be uh potentially on the same level as Feshnikov his play driving doesn't appear to be as good as Feshnikov's but you have to I guess take that with a bit of a grain of salt because you could not possibly have two different two more different team situations than Carolina and Ottawa yeah and you know this is going to come up again when we when we do talk about Rasmus Dallin but in terms of team situation he has had very few advantages, except that they had almost no choice but to give him a lot of ice time pretty quickly. You know, like, he's not being carried by any means. And yet, you know, the Ottawa Senators are probably going to pick twice in the top five this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they got a really high-end center out of one of those picks, whether it's Quentin Byfield or Marco Rossi or what have you. If I were a Sens fan, I would be swooning over the prospect of putting one of those guys with Brady Kachuk. I would be so excited over what he could do when he gets put in a really good situation. He's going to be really, really annoying to Leafs fans for a long time. So consider this your warning. We are going to hate this guy. Mm-hmm. But he's he's an exceptional player. And the, the Sens do deserve credit for that pick. It looks like a great one. Absolutely. Um. Just to touch on why I had him, why we both had him a bit below Svech. Um, for Kachuk is like two thirds of a year older. Doesn't make a huge difference, and it'll make less and less of a difference as we go forward. But mm. it still makes a bit of a difference now, and they're close enough that you know that gives me more reason to um, to go for for Svechnikov. The shooting is one thing where you know you. Not that I I think you know Kachuk will be a bad shooter for his career, but that is data that we don't want to completely throw away. And then mm-hmm. uh, Svechnikov's play driving numbers are are so absurdly good that like even if I provide like a mental discount of like 10% in my head, it's he's still stunning. So that those yeah. are the reasons I I think we Svechnikov is is better. Yeah. So yeah, all things considered though, he is worth being in this tier. I know that in the vote he he got very little support to go one overall, which is fine. That's a reflection of the competition he's in. But he's not as far out of that conversation as you might think. Yeah, I would reject anyone who doesn't have him in the tier we have him or higher. Yeah, like he's, he's very, very good. And uh, I, I think he'll get a chance to show that. This, you know, I've talked, I was talking before about like, again, if Ottawa just gets rid of the new Eugene Melnick as owner, they become an, a really exciting team in terms of where they are in the rebuild. Kachuk is a big part of that. And, you know, he's going to be the kind of guy who the fans love him and opposing fan bases hate him. So, yeah. 
I guess next we're coming up to a, a first overall pick, are we not? We are. Jack Hughes. What do you make of Jack Hughes? This is a trick, tricky one. Yes. So um, we're now at, we're looking at seven to ten now, uh, and mm-hmm. we have them all in in one tier. Uh, should, do you want me to name them first, or just go one by one? We can go one by one. We'll build some drama. Sure. All right. Jack Hughes. <laughs> yeah. So, based on the strength of his NHL campaign, Jack Hughes does not deserve to be here. Right. You have to have a strong prior on his pre-draft record, basically. Yes, this is a pedigree pick, and it, it's like, un- we are trusting. It's an understandable yeah. pedigree pick because he's like what 18, 19? 18. 18, Exactly. He's about to turn nineteen. Yeah, but yeah. So you know he's stupid young. He's a small guy, right? Like, I think people, smart draft people, said he's he's not going to take to the NHL the way Matthews, Eichel, and McDavid did, um, who had kind of more developed bodies at that point. Mm-hmm. Right, but Hughes is an elite skater with great vision, great hands. It, it, it seems like he's too talented to not figure this out. Yeah, I like I would not be selling stock in Jack Hughes anytime soon. Like he's too good a player. He's so young. It's just really really hard to be any good in the NHL at age 18. And it is worth noting, you know, Marner wasn't in the NHL at 18. Nylander wasn't in the NHL at 18. Even Matthews turned 19 in September. And as you, you mentioned, he was already big, you know, Hughes probably just needs some time. It's also worth noting everything about the Devils went to shit this year mm-hmm. relative to the rest of his team. He's, he's about fine on a bad team. Like he doesn't look to me, at least by the stat profile to be any kind of clear anchor. Do you know what I'm saying? He's not doing great, but neither is anyone on the Devils because they're ass. Whereas Capo Caco, who went after him, actually looks like, I mean, again, he's so young. You don't want to get carried away with this, but he's really, really struggling in uh, New York. So. Yeah, and it's worth noting that um, Jack Hughes has a pretty strong scoring rate, right? He's yeah, 90, yeah. 97th in the league in, uh, what am I, in expected goals rate, which is good. He's getting, you know, actually he's getting shots. That matters. Right, sorry, I, I misread. His his scoring rate is actually pretty putrid, uh, but his expected goal rate is not. Right, he's undershooting his expected goals by a silly amount, like one fifth of his expected goals per natural stat trick. Yeah, which is probably something that's not going to continue. We would expect for any kind of player if you, of his skill. If you just give him his expected goal rate, he moves into quite respectable tiers in terms of scoring. Hmm. He also, he hasn't done as much as you might hope with the power play time he's had. And again, the Devils haven't had a great power play. Uh, They also lost Taylor Hall, which didn't do them a lot of favors. And so, there are so many things here where it's very easy to say, okay, that's probably going to get better. You know, the number one thing about him should be he's 18, Mm -hmm. Capitals. If he were 21, he wouldn't be on this list. Yes, But he's not. And so... You really do have to just give a certain amount of deference to growth, to the fact that this is a tough league to make, to the fact that he still has a lot of talent, and he's able to play in the NHL, you know, not going off gangbusters or anything, but respectably, at least well enough that he's legitimately earning a roster spot at 18. That's something. And so, yeah, 
everything put together, I would say if we do this again in a year or two, I wouldn't be surprised if Jack Hughes is shot ahead. I mean, one, a lot of the people ahead of him are going to graduate out, mm-hmm. but I, I, I just, I can't see really wanting to bet against him despite the somewhat disappointing results at this stage. Yeah, I agree with that completely. It's he's too young and too talented to sell on him this early, right? And I mean, something mm-hmm. we were talking about when we were making these lists and, and uh, how you know how to judge these players is when do you cut bait on a highly rated guy who isn't turning out, right? And this is now abstracting from Hughes because I don't think Hughes will come into this category. But like, when do you give up on a high pick who isn't? doing quite what you expect or when do you say this guy it, we have to kind of let go of the prior what we had pre-draft right because there's a very small window between we still have time and now his stock has cratered you know mm-hmm. and, and he turns into a reclamation project um speaking of uo levy for example who went uh, fifth overall in 2016 and uh you know when was the time to trade him if you were going to sell out? Do you still have hope for him? You know, when there were rumored trades of Tyson Berry to um, to Vancouver, I was still kind of hopeful that you levy maybe something could be done there. You know, I'm not saying I would... I don't think that he's officially busted either. It's just a matter of at what point do you want to try and lock in whatever value you have left in a trade versus waiting on this guy to figure it out. And it feels like it's right around that 20 to 21 bracket. Yeah. Um, you know, especially after, if you get into like a second pro season and it's it's still not going, you start to think, okay, how much is left there? You will, now that said, if you sell disappointing players during or after a second pro season, you are going to lose out on a lot of talent that blooms later. I'm just saying there is a transitional point between this guy still has a lot of shiny high draft pick going on and this guy is now just a guy in the AHL toiling away. I don't know. It's it's very tough to uh, to sort that out. And there are all sorts of questions about development, about are you doing enough to to give him a chance to get better too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not an easy thing to to figure out, right? Because especially because it's an admission from the front office of "oh, we fucked up." Yeah, on a high pick, which is not something that's very pleasant, and so it's not an unrelated thing, in my opinion, that these players don't get traded very often. You know, so despite being viewed as somewhat disappointments, Puglia Yarvi and Yua Levy are still playing for the same, or they're still in the same organizations that drafted them. They're not playing for the NHL teams. Now, Puglia Yarvi has been shopped, but as yet, he hasn't moved. So, yeah, it's interesting to kind of wrestle with that. Again, Hughes is going to figure it out. The Devils aren't trading him that I can foresee. Mm-hmm. Um... Do you want to go to the next one on the list? Sure, or? from the youngest player on the list to the oldest, Patrick Laine. Yeah, Patrick Laine, as we mentioned, made this by the skin of his teeth because our chosen cutoff was just this week on uh, April 1st. N- now that 
I, I think it's fair to say, and this is independent of like Leafs homerism, the idea that he was going to be better than Austin Matthews, I thought that was always a little iffy. It was born not entirely, but largely out of Leaf hatred. Yeah, and contrarianism. Yes, that's the other you know? aspect of it, where it's like, oh, you know, this se- this consensus second pick might be better than the consensus first pick, right? And that's heightened yeah. when it's like, which, oh, which... the Leafs have the consensus first pick. Yeah, and for the record, we are saying that probably happened with Svechnikov, at least at this point. Yeah. So, take that as you will. But yeah, line A is, I think, pretty clearly not as good as Matthews. And now maybe we can try and appreciate him more on his own merits, because he's a really interesting player. He's a weird player. Very unique player, right? Where this year, he, yeah. he's... B- before this year, the thing on line A was, you know, elite, elite shooter. One of the best in the league shooters. And possibly not an NHL player at any other skill. Yeah, it was incredible because he was extraordinary at the most important thing you can do. And if you see his shot, uh, it's something worth looking at in freeze frames or slow motion or whatever because he's fucking huge. And he puts all of his size down onto the stick. His stick looks like a longbow or something like that. Like, it's so bent at the moment of impact that like it's just kind of crazy to see this giant man pressing down with that much pressure on what is supposedly kind of a rigid object but uh yeah anyway he's an incredible shooter from distance has kind of bad shot locations but as we conventionally understand them anyway like you know we talk about kachuk getting to the highest danger areas, and Svechnikov, same thing. Line A goes to the not highest danger areas a lot of the time, and he sets up shop there and he shoots. If there was, like, a two-goal line in the NHL, that's similar to the uh, NBA with a 3.9, like, Line A might be the most valuable player in the league. Yeah. If he can consistently... Because he can hit an above-average number of shots from a terrible location. Exactly. Now, this year, his kind of... Everything besides shooting game has gotten better. Now, note I'm saying better and not good. He's still, like, <laughs> really not a play driver by any metric at all. No. Nope. Um, he's still, like, he's his passing game has improved. But he, he's still, he's not, like, an incredibly complete offensive player, I don't think. Not really doing a lot for you defensively. Not really doing a lot for you in terms of winning board battles and whatnot. He's kind of a one-trick pony, but that one trick is pretty good. If you had to pick a one-trick, it would probably be this one. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you say he's going to operate at kind of like a deficit with it, with the shots that he gets or his team gets when he's on the ice versus what they give up, he, that's fine. He has to make up for it by his shooting essentially. But, you mm-hmm. know, we're not just talking about him being a valuable NHL player here, but this to be on this list, you have to be essentially a superstar. Right? right. It's a hard list to make. This, to make Like, Mitch Marner at age 21, right? So that would have been two seasons ago, would probably be, you know, in, in the middle tier on this list. William Nylander at age 21 wouldn't be on this list. No, probably not. Like, this is demanding. This is the best in the league if we're trying to make this kind of comparison. And I think Line is the one where you can struggle the most with where to put him. Because you have to rate one 
outstanding skill against a lot of deficits where he's otherwise not competitive with other guys on this list. And so I think we ended up settling on putting him here in this kind of grab bag tier, but you could convince me that he should be higher. You could convince me that he shouldn't be on this list at all. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's not a complete game in his case. He's also the oldest and the shooting... person on the list. Yeah. Right? So that, Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, so you can project less growth for him than anyone else. Yeah. And, you know, you would almost expect more growth. And as, you know, we said, he has gotten a little less awful at certain things. That's it. I mean, his shooting percentage on the shots that he gets on goal is actually down now. Like, it used to be absurd, and now it's merely very good from bad locations. So, yeah, he's he's so hard to evaluate. He doesn't, he, he really seems to me like the kind of guy where, I mean, speaking of, you'd love to put him with Brady Kachuk. Uh, the Jets have had some success putting him, you know, with Kyle Connor on the other wing. You, you want short-range kind of players because he's not going to be standing there. He'll be blasting them from some distance most of the time and presumably ginning up some rebound opportunities or deflections. So fit seems important to me with line A. It is for every player, but especially for a guy who is so lopsided in terms of what he's good and bad at. Right. And he's actually complained in the past about uh, which centers he ends up with. You know, I think he's quite conscious that there are, there's a lot of added value that comes to him when he gets to play with a great center and when he doesn't. And the Jets have routinely had issues with their middle six centers. Line a has played a lot of time with Shifley this year, although at the time of the break, he wasn't with him. And it, it is interesting just watching that develop. I also don't think he likes being in Winnipeg. Like, that's just the impression that I get. And I don't know that it's because of the weather. It's just he seems pissed frankly yeah it's hard hard to judge with him um to your point you know we talked about Pedersen as this very malleable offensive player where you know you put anyone with him and Pedersen's gonna find a role line is not that guy yeah right L- like line a will get a lot better or a lot worse depending on how you use him mm-hmm. Pedersen actually reminds me as almost it's like if John Tavares could skate better yeah like, which is kind of an crazy thing to say but like He's awesome. Mm, he, he, Whereas he really Line is. A is just like, yeah, yeah. In, in case we didn't, yeah. Sell so you, on you know, Pedersen, like Pedersen has real heart potential. Oh yeah, like, I like I I can't say enough good about him. I I really can. Like I think that he's at some point in his career, he's probably going to be like a top five player in the league. Like he'll, be, he'll at least be very plausibly close. So. Yeah. Um, anyway, so th- there's line A. We we really struggle with what to do with him because he has just such th- a, a remarkable shot and he has so little else. I would be really interested to see him if I had like a hockey lab and I could just do whatever I wanted. I would try line A with a lot of different centers and wing partners, you know? Just I would be so curious to see what different situations you could put him in. I would also probably try him at some point on a team that has, like, a non-zero number of NHL defensemen. But, um, that is useful. That's a, Yeah, some people would say. All right, so moving down on the list, we have next to number nine, 
Uh, again, within the last, within seven to ten, it's another tier. Or the you know don't get hung up on the order in which we talked about these pairs within this tier. Um, but we have Pierre Luc Dubois. Yeah, isn't he something, eh? Mm. Uh, speaking of guys who would he's he's going to age off the list in pretty short order. He was the third overall pick in uh, 2016. But he's had a really interesting development because he was considered a bit of a reach over Puljujarvi at the time he was picked, and that certainly is no longer the case. He's... Okay, I'm going to indulge in maybe the nerdiest analogy I've ever done. We're like an hour 20 in. Everybody knows I'm a geek. Let's just roll with it. He makes me think of, like, a red mage from, like, Dungeons & Dragons or something, where he's not specialized in any one thing, but he's really, really good at everything. And I think almost part of the knock on him was that he is less of a standout at a particular thing than some other players. Like, it's harder to point to, like, oh, this is the thing that makes Pierre-Luc Dubois a real standout player. It's not like with Line A, where you look at him and you're like, oh, shot. With Quinn Hughes, you're like, oh, yeah, four-way skating. With Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's like he's big, he's solid, he's very tough to stop from going where he wants on the ice. He has a good little snapshot. He's pretty reliable, seemingly, as a two-way player. And so, just by virtue of there not being a whole lot wrong with this game, even though he's not, you know, blazing or anything, he's turned into quite a good all-around player. And he suffered, naturally enough, with Artemi Panarin leaving Columbus. But he's done better than maybe you would think. He's hung in there. The, the knock on him now is just, is he going to be merely a respectable first-line center, or is he going to be kind of more of a 1B guy, where the very highest tier is still clearly above him? And that's harder to judge. Right. It's it's a little bit <coughs> tricky with, with him. And because he is on the older side of this list, you know, you probably can't project as much growth for him as you can for the other players, but it seems... He seems like a guy who, at worst, is going to be like the 20th best center in the world. Yeah, that's pretty good, you know? The only worrying thing for me is like his play driving numbers have slipped each of the last two seasons, right? And mm-hmm. he has he's a skilled guy, but he's not an elite skilled guy relative to the rest of, you know, the, the top-end players. So he needs to kind of have that as a base in order for him to be competitive in this tier. Um, I... I I guess we, we decide not to penalize him too heavily for that. He he doesn't have great line mates or great teammates, right? Columbus is a is a pretty weak team roster wise. It's through some great goaltending uh, that they've they've managed to really yeah. stay afloat. They have like a flat talent distribution. Mm-hmm. It looks to me like they have a lot of middle class guys and not as much high end talent. And in that sense, Dubois is almost like their king. You know, he doesn't wow you to the same extent that a Pedersen does and he's not in that tier but at the same time I think he really does net out to being better than you might expect I will say if we were gonna turf someone from this list I think there's a real argument that we should have replaced Dubois with Nico Heischer mm-hmm. like I think that that's close because again Heischer is also a good two-way player but Dubois is genuinely impressive and I think that I could certainly see like a very strong balanced team having him as 
its best center and being quite respectable, even though I don't think that he's really threatening the very top table, which, you know, the next generation is McDavid, Matthews, Eichel, Pedersen. Um, yeah, very interesting player in terms of <laughs> paradoxically not being maybe that interesting, mm-hmm. but just in, in terms of the balance of his skill set. Yeah, and I mean, we don't want to, like, be too harsh on the guy. It's not like he he's a talented player. He's uh, a first-liner by scoring rate. Yeah. Right? Uh, right around... Uh, same scoring rate as Patrick Laine, right? Um, and actually, this year, more goals yeah. per 60 than Patrick Laine, right? Um, and he's certainly a better player all around than uh, than Laine is. Like, if if you're talking about this year, I, I think Dubois has clearly been better than Laine. It's, like, it's just Laine has the upside that Dubois probably doesn't. Yeah, and, and this is probably, I, I think, one why it was a little tougher to project him. Uh, as of the draft, and two, how he fits in so interestingly. He's maybe the most balanced of all these forwards. And so it's very tough to kind of balance out. Is he actually netting out, excuse me, to to be something something really exceptional? Like he's already kind of a super jack-of-all-trades. And so as his game develops further, maybe maybe there is more there. And, And again, he... He's lower on speed and a little bit on skill, but that's by comparison to this this group. Like he can snap it, you know, he can make intelligent passes. So, yeah, kind of an interesting, steady two way power forward type from what I what vibe I get from him. Right, and he's probably the player we we know least about because yeah. we don't watch that much Columbus, mm-hmm. and Columbus doesn't get that much press. So we we like in terms of style, I have. I can put less of a pin on his style than I can with pretty much any other player on this list. Yeah. It'll be funny, like, Kevin will listen to this and he'll be like, you idiots. Yeah. Dubois is, like, a high-skill player. He, but, he, uh, he is, but he's, tried. I mean, like, yeah. relative to the other forwards on this list, I don't, I don't think he has that level of upside. Yeah. And, you, you know, it's a testament to what he's done more than what we think he can do, maybe more than any other player. Like, you, you know, we talk about Hughes, which is mostly a pedigree pick, a potential pick. We talk about Dubois, we're saying, this guy has gone to the NHL and been extremely reliable as a serious player. So, yeah, I think that that's the way to put it. Yeah, that's fair. All right, last but not least, we have Rasmus Dahlin, and I'm sure many people were expecting Dahlin to show up much higher on this list. Um, I will say Darlene's the one guy, not the one guy, there's a lot of people on the list that can make us look dumb, but he is the most likely candidate to make us look completely brain dead in a year. Yes. And this question is, are we too low on him now? We actually had a, a great discussion with uh, Kevin on Twitter, that's NTRider825, who is a, a Sabres fan, but is, you know, remarkably free of Homer goggles, I guess, if you cheer for the Sabres through the last decade, that probably disillusions you pretty hard if you were ever willing to uh, to kid yourself. And, you know, he argued, look, Rasmus Delling had a really rough 20 games, and other than that, he's looked great, is the argument here. The overall complexion of Delling this season has been rough. And how much is it being dragged down by that earlier sample? Because he's been better later, lately. And he's been trusted more by his coach 
more recently, it seems, up to a point. Um, it's hard to know what to make of him. The talent is obvious. Some of what, you know, what I talked about with Quinn Hughes, that four-way agility in skating, Delian has it. He's a good passer. He can jump into the play and make really dangerous moves. He's productive on the power play. He's a PP1 guy. Maybe at times he could get a little overambitious as a player who is used to being kind of the best guy around at most of the levels before the NHL. He also seems to mostly play soft competition right now. And again, quality of competition only means so much. And if you're playing with the Sabres, you can end up in a pretty bad quality of teammates situation too. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that would be the, the argument the other way is saying playing as he does on the Sabres probably still hurts him a lot more than it helps him. Yeah, and so here, here's what I... I think the argument for Darlene being higher, and it's, it's a good one, um, kind of has the following elements to it. First, Darlene is young. He is about to turn 20. He's the youngest defenseman mm-hmm. on this list by a not, you know, incons- or like by a notable margin. Um, so there's a lot of upside there. To the extent that you care about point scoring, his is very good. He's been put in possibly the worst possible situation for a defenseman. Right? And it's not just that Buffalo is bad, but his usage has been that Darlene doesn't get as much time as you would expect with the Sabres' actual good forwards. And it's it, it seems silly, almost, where you're like, you have this star prospect, why not give him Jack Eichel to play off of, you know, as much as you possibly can, right? Um, and the other thing worth noting is Darlene's rookie year was very good. It's to the extent mm-hmm. that I'm down on him in general, it's based on this sophomore year. His rookie year was fine. It was, it was excellent, actually. It was very, very impressive. But mm-hmm. the sophomore year, whether it was 20 bad games or not, his trip play driving numbers have been really atrocious. So to what extent do you put, you know, weight on that versus his strong rookie year and his incredibly strong pre-draft resume? Right? Um, right. I think, you know, we talked about our list with a couple other people whose opinions respect Kevin Papetti, uh, Ian Tullock for example, mm-hmm. and they both had Darlene very, very high on the list. And I think that's a very defensible position, right? It, like, he he has all the tools. You watch Darlene, it's hard not to be impressed by him. He seems so poised and so skilled. As you said, he can sometimes be overambitious, but he's overambitious because he makes a lot of those plays too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he, he's, I think, just a really tricky guy to evaluate in this because it's how much do you value, you know, this year, this one kind of bad year versus everything else. And this goes to our discussion of when do you start really judging a top-level prospect, right? Um, you know, Quinn Hughes wasn't in the eight, wasn't in the NHL at 18. Neither was Kale McCarr. Neither was... Um, was Miro Heiskanen? I don't remember, actually, if he made it after his rookie year like in, or after his draft year. Uh, he made it pretty quick, but let me double-check whether it was uh, D plus one or D plus two. But, yeah, he, I mean, it is a difficult situation. Yeah, uh, yeah you know what, it was uh, D plus mm-hmm. two. He did one more year in the Liga. So, yeah, and I mean, it's... If Rasmus Dalin gets drafted fifth overall, this whole conversation has a different tone to it, even if we rank him in the same spot. Like, there's just not that feeling of... 
slight letdown because we expect Rasmus Dalian to come in and contend for a Norris like immediately. And he's merely come in and shown a lot of skill in a slightly uneven performance on an awful team that used him in a way that is, let's say, open to question at times. I'm not saying that that means that the defensive game is there for him or that he's a complete player now or any of those things, but the priors that kind of hang over Deline really do affect how we think and talk about him because we expected him to come in and to be Eric Carlson or something of that caliber. Not immediately, we hope, but soon. And so I do have a hard time putting him in this context. And it's not like Jack Hughes where we've basically just thrown out a large section of his first year. It's just a matter of would I, at this point in time, want Dalene over Makar or Hughes or Heiskanen? I wouldn't quite. I'm just not there, and maybe that's just because I think the power play thing matters a little less to me than some of the other issues. That said, you know, it's possible in a year Rasmus Dalin is consensus one of the best five defensemen in the world. Yeah. It's, you know, like it's, this could turn so fast. People thought this year, um, they could, coming into this year, he could be a, a stealth Norris contender. Yeah. And, you know, we thought he was going to be great. He had that weird start where he was used as a third pair defenseman early on. He was really struggling. It was a difficult situation. He's kind of, I don't know if he's gotten more trust from his coach. It still appears, so far as we can look at the numbers profile, it still appears that Rasmus Ristolainen is basically being used as the shutdown defenseman on the Sabres. I can't imagine why they're not good. But, um... It is interesting just seeing the growth of trust uh, between coaches and defensemen. And, you you know, you can see Heiskanen. Heiskanen is trusted by his coach. Um, Hughes and Makar are used not necessarily for all of the dirty work, but they have more trust there. And Delin is gaining that trust. Um, you, you know, that said, Christ knows if Ralph Kruger will be coaching the Buffalo Sabres next year or for how much longer after that. I have to admit, I have a hard time with the Buffalo kind of funhouse mirror. And this is what Kevin was talking about. He's saying, well, I just would love to see an alternate universe where Delian was playing with a great team. You know, where he was put in a situation with other good players, where he could be surrounded with more talent. And where we wouldn't have to worry about if we're not playing him with Eichel or Reinhardt, we're playing him with Strubs. I don't know. He's he's a real challenge to evaluate, and I genuinely, you can probably hear it from the way I've talked about him, I almost have, like, I'm very much of two minds about it in terms of we're either too low on him or I can't justify being higher on him. Yeah. No, I... I, I yeah. Sums it up to me as well. It, there's so much obvious upside there. Yeah, and, you know... I mean, we could have kept going with this and almost talked about, well, you know, like Yamamoto has uh, a great tiny NHL sample 
does he deserve more credit for what he's done and that sort of thing? And you could almost like talk yourself into pushing Delian down. And I almost wonder if we went too far, even pushing him down as far as 10th. But yeah, it, like if you called up, you know, the Sabres in the abstract and we're trying to make trades up and down this list, Delian probably ranks a little higher than this, but... Well, I don't think the Sab Do the Sabres trade him for any one of the other defensemen on this list? I'm not sure that they do. I'm not sure that they should. No, probably not. But then some of that is anchoring bias, right? Like he's your he's your guy, right? You've committed to if him. You're the Sabres, like if I genuinely, or if you're the Sabres, are you yeah. trading him for Heiskanen or Hughes or Makar? I'm not, but I will say genuinely, if you make me choose between the two of them, I take Quinn Hughes. I do genuinely. Do I that. have if I'm the um, Sabres, if I'm GM Jack Eichel, I I have a meeting about it, but I probably don't pull the trigger. No. And, you know, I will say, if I were a Sabres fan, I probably wouldn't mm-hmm. do it. Just because it's too hard to give up on that potential at that age. And there's a very good argument that you just should not even contemplate it, no matter how it looks at this stage. Like, that you should just trust your priors and trust his more recent resurgent and trust his rookie year. There are a million reasons to trust in the performance of this player. It's just that... A lot of the numbers that we tend to rely on don't like him. I think that Rasmus Dallin is going to be a very good NHL defenseman at bare minimum. Like, I have not much doubt about that. Like, we're not talking about this in the context of, like, a Neil Yakupov situation where it literally doesn't work out at all. We're talking about very good versus great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'll see. But, uh... Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's yeah. This is a tough list to make. It, it's you know? it's <laughs> very hard, and you know we won't pretend yeah. that this list is infallible. Like every time I look at this list, I'm like, okay, I I would change this, and I change that, and I change this, and then I look at it again in an hour, and I'm like, oh no, I would revert all those changes. Like you know, you can go back and forth on this. There's a lot of really good players. We'll just quickly mention the other guys we were considering, and then wrap up. The other yep. guys who like kind of made the short list of like, okay, maybe it's possible to rank them. Um, Kyler Yamamoto, Nico Hishier, Clayton Keller, Nick Suzuki, Capo Kako, Yasperi Kukanyemi, Mikhail Sergachev. Any, everyone after Keller, I didn't really have to think that hard before eliminating. There is one name that we actually didn't include, and I think it's pure goalie aversion, but Ian Tullock pointed this out. And it was Carter mm-hmm. Hart. And I... Don't know what to do with him. He looks like a good starting goalie right now. He's made some, frankly, unbelievable saves. He's 21. And I have a hard time saying that I would, you know, give up any of these guys for a good starting goalie. But the fact is he stabilized the situation in Philadelphia. He looks like he's good, at least. And so I think that if you wanted to come at it from that angle, you could put him onto this list if you wanted to. I I really think that there are a lot of different ways to approach comparing goalies and skaters, and they're all kind of iffy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, your way may be as good as anything. But to, to bring it back to the skaters, uh, Yamamoto is really interesting to me. Um, and I, uh, you know, I think to you too, just because he's looked so good in a tiny sample. 
and he's going to get to play with elite centers. It has to be said that this was like a triumph of Peter Chiarelli, it looks like. Not because I don't think no one thought it would be good. I remember wanting Kyler Yamamoto. But he's like a zippy little winger, and he's like 5'8". He's small. He's not the conventional 200 hockey men pick. But it now looks like he's their best hope to inject skill onto the wing uh, around McDavid, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Leandro Seidel. And that's huge for them. They really need that in terms of uh, the upgrade that he can provide. So I don't seriously think that he probably ought to displace anyone, but he's definitely worth keeping an eye on. And I wouldn't be surprised if next year we look and suddenly Yamamoto has some absolutely ridiculous point total, including beating much of this list. Yep. So. Yeah, with Yamamoto, it's really just the lack of track record that prevented us from, from putting him on. His numbers are st- stupid. If he did this for another 30, 40 games, he'd be on this list. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then he sure is a, a great two-way player. A bit like the like. Dubois At scenario. Seems... Yeah, like looks like just like a really reliable guy mm-hmm. uh, to build around. We st- I still think that, you know, once the smoke clears a little bit, Hughes and Heischer as your one-two at center in New Jersey is going to turn out to be pretty yeah. good. Yeah, everything so. that went wrong, that could have gone wrong, went wrong this year. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Okay. We should wrap up then. Um, so thank you all for listening. Um, you can find all of my and work at pensionpanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Um Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, supporting us through these first 100 episodes. And... Hopefully we'll have uh, many more of them. We'll see you next week.